Hello, this is uh, Fam Electric Ghost. I have Niles. Is it Niles Becker? Yeah, Niels. 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 Okay. So, um, yeah, this is Fam Electric Ghost. We're in the show. We're a podcast where we interview indie artists from around the world. Are you actually in the U.S. or are you back in Germany? I'm in Germany, in Berlin right now. Oh, cool. Um, that's one of the advantages of this new technology. I can talk to people all over the world. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, I was reading your bio. Okay. It indicated that you had a big dream to come to the U.S. and you came to the U.S. and you worked on your music, right? That's how you yeah. actually. So all all the songs that you've done in your catalog that I see on Spotify were they done in America or do you went back to Germany and recorded them there? Uh, so most of them were done in America. So I think there's one uh, that Beatles cover that I did. That one I did uh, back in Germany, but all. All the ones that I recorded with the band were done in in the U.S. with friends of mine. That's cool. So I'm gonna get to, to the overall questions. But your newest release that I just saw out there is Trigger. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. But um, I, what I hear in your music, because I, I like a, like a lot of um, Americana bands, you know, country kind of five mm -hmm. bands like Wilco or. Um, uh, uh, different bands um, such as like you know Tom Petty or the yeah. 400 unit with um, Jason, Jason Isbell and yeah. the drive by truckers. So I, I kind of hear like a little Jason Isbell, and you uh, do well, that's yeah, nice a, a little bit. <laughs> and I hear you know, I hear that kind of Americana, which I goes back to the band and Dylan. Um, uh -huh. um, that's always been a big focus for me, even though I'm an electronic musician, I love that type of music. That's so cool. We'll, we'll get into um. The overall question. So the first question we always ask all of our musical guests is, when do you get into music and at what age? So let's see. I think um, I got into music because I have an older brother and he, when I guess I was six years old or something, he was, uh, he had this whole phase where he was listening to punk rock bands, I guess, <laughs> German, German punk rock bands. Uh, and I think that's the first time I really had um, a, a connection with music where I was just, I just knew I wanted to do something like that. Then it took me a couple of years. I think when I was 10, uh, that's when I first picked up the guitar. And I remember I just wanted to start playing the electric right away. But my parents at that point were like, how about you start with classical guitar and then go from there? <laughs> yeah, your parents were always like, I started on a, on a classical on a clarinet. Oh, yeah. Which nice. is really not a writing instrument. Um, yes. They, they, didn't want, they didn't want to see me with a guitar or a drum set. And then later I said, well, you know, writing instrument is more like a guitar or a piano. Uh -huh. That's how I got into synthesizers. But I couldn't afford a piano. So I got a Casio CZ-101 <laughs> listen to craft work <laughs> listen to brian you know and nice. i was getting drawn into a lot of stuff that was going on in berlin i kind uh -huh. of showing my age but i'm in, I'm in my 50s mm -hmm. and in the 70s you know craft work and what brian you know was doing with the bowie in, mm -hmm. in germany was a really big influence on me um, cool but um have you been have you been to berlin no i've never been to berlin i i, I lived in japan for two years oh. and so i got a lot of influenced in Shibuya and Rapongi and those areas, you know, that, you know, I actually visited Roland and visited all these places, you know, Yamaha and <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> looked, looked at the birth of the DX7 and Jupiter 8 and those places and found Jupiter 8s in, in, in the stores. And 
Akia Bar. And so, yeah, I've been, I've always wanted to go to Berlin. I've talked to a couple of German bands as, mm-hmm. for interviews. And that is a place I actually have a booking agent now. Oh, okay. That's out of Europe. And um, hopefully I'll get the, you know, when this thing, you know, yeah. opens up, I'll, <laughs> I'll get to actually play Germany because that is like one of the places that, that's into the kind of music I do. But um, yeah. Yeah, well, so, if, you, if you do come over, let me know. Well, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> There's a couple of other bands I've talked to that I'm probably like, hey, let's get together and jam out. <laughs> nice. um, but like, uh, so how long have you been working on music? You know, I, I guess you did it when you were like 10, 12 years old. When did you, you know, start to, to work on music and realize that you had your own voice and you could write? Um, because a lot of kids, they'll, they'll start, they'll be in, you know, garage bands that will play other people's music. You know, it's a different type of musician that starts to become a singer-songwriter. How, how did you decide you wanted to go that way? Yeah, that took me a couple of years. Because, yeah, it was the, the band thing with friends of mine. And I I guess we wrote music, but we always did it together in a room. I would come in and be like, I have this this riff or this lick or something. And then we would jam out. And then usually the last thing that yeah. happened was, uh, okay, now we have to write some lyrics <laughs> so we have something to sing. And that changed later on. So I went on to study jazz guitar here in Germany. That was the first thing I did after finishing what would be high school in the U.S. And um, yeah, so then studying jazz guitar, that was a completely different thing. A lot about guitar and yeah. uh, and well, it kind of gets into those Beatle chords and the fact that you could do more advanced in the composition. Like, if you get into classical and jazz, I'm a big yeah. jazz proponent. You know, if, if I'm playing on a piano and I play like Sun Ra type of chords or chords that would be used by like, like uh, you know, uh, Coltrane's quartet, uh, mm-hmm. that that's different than what you do in rock. It's different than what you do if you're like playing the doors or if you're, you're totally. playing, playing something from Yes. Not that different though, because Keith Everson and, and Yes, they kind of kind of go that way. Listen to Tangerine Dream, those bands take advantage of classical structures and jazz structures and integrated them. And that's kind yeah. of, so having that background, I think it's really advantageous as a musician. You listen to a band like Steely Dan, it's always yeah. good to know <laughs> jazz. <laughs> you know from my, from my perspective but um that's a good foundation because a lot yeah, of it was really helpful yeah but just the other thing sorry yeah i was just saying a lot of rockers are blues based or punk based or heavy metal based and they don't go that direction so jazz is kind of interesting it is yeah it is and it was very helpful it's just the one thing i noticed was that uh, i had this idea that once you know how to play jazz which also i found out there's no such thing <laughs> It never feels like now I got it down. Yeah, but, you never uh, get it down. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but also, uh, it's not like once you know how to play jazz that you automatically can play rock music. It's a very different oh, yeah. thing. Totally different, <laughs> totally different skill set. Yeah, if you look at like what Jimmy Page or Hendrix, well, you know Eric Clapton. You, you mm-hmm. look at Lead Belly. No, you look at like like a guy like we we're talking about Americana. Look at Robbie Robertson. Robbie mm-hmm. Robertson, one of the quintessential great American guitarists. Uh, yeah, and the fact that he doesn't showboat, he's not an Eddie Van Halen, he's not a Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. but his compositional style is part none. You know, the way he can structure his chords and then have these little licks 
in between. He never showboated. But yeah. if you really listen to the band, he's actually soloing through the whole song, but not very um, extravagant. It's more, it's, it, it serves the song. And so that yeah, and, and you hear that it's him. That's the other thing. Yeah, he just has a, such a unique sound. He could fill these little riffs in between the chords. Mm-hmm. And he would do these little really killer, powerful little vignettes. He's like of, of running a run a a whole like you know just a solo there's solos but they're so slight and they're in between the mm-hmm. chord structures it's just phenomenal i i've yeah. always looked at that that's real skill <laughs> yeah totally it is um yeah but you're saying yeah that kind of skill set you won't learn in jazz you know you won't learn in other in the blues either it's kind of like becoming a, a, a rock guitar player it's a, it depends on which way you want to come at it you know mm-hmm. So, so you're like, if we're going to get to the next question, what gets into who are your influences and your reference points in your music? I heard some that I interpreted, but if you're going to say for yourself, who are your primary influences as like guitar players or songwriters? Yeah, so, so you were right about the ones that you, that you already pointed out. Uh, way before that, I think one of the biggest influences for me was Mark Knopfler. Oh, he's great! Yeah, yeah. There was, I think, as always, that was something that was the records, Dire Straits, and Mark Knopfler was stuff that my parents had at home. My dad, especially, mm-hmm. um, and I think everyone's dad has Dire Straits records. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the stuff he did with Dylan on Infidels. I think the work he did on the D- Dylan record Infidels from the eighties mm-hmm. is unbelievable. He is such a great guitar player. And he was fairly young when he did that. It must oh, have been yeah. crazy. To yeah, yeah I love his structure. I mean, the way he produces, him as a producer and a guitar mm-hmm. player and a songwriter, he's just, he was able to integrate with Dylan. Yeah. And, <laughs> and with Brian Eno, he was helping him. But it's just the fact that he can do that. And, you know, it, it didn't sound like Dire Straits. It, it, it sounded like a new type of Dylan. And no other Dylan record sounds like that one. Infidel sounds totally different than anything in the catalog because yeah. of what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah, but the other thing with him too is that he never really uh, showed off that much. I guess a little bit with Dire Straits, but yeah, he's kind of to... like like Robbie, Robbie Robertson. Yeah, like... and to this day, I just I think there's no one that sounds like him, and he just needs to play one note basically, and you know it's him. So yeah, he's got kind of mm-hmm. like that Dave Gilmore thing. Like you like if you hear Dave Gilmore, you know it's him. Mm-hmm. You know if you hear. You hear Mark Knopfler, you know it's him. There's some guitar players that's iconic. You yes. hear one note, and he's like, oh, "I know who that is." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he was he was one of my influences. I guess I guess Dylan too, because my mom had Dylan records, and I used to listen to them. I didn't understand the word back then. I, just, <laughs> I was just drawn to it in some way. I don't know. Dylan <laughs> is such a thing. They're so like there's such a like either you love him or you worship him, you know, or people are like turned off, but. At the end of the day, everybody recognizes, you know, he's a poet. Yeah. And and, and his songs, I mean, if you're going to write a song and you're going to try to tell a story, you know, starting with Dylan or Robbie uh, is a good way to start because they, 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 they paint like short stories or little novelettes. <laughs> yeah. Or even not so short stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them are pretty long. I mean, I mean, yeah. Blonde on Blonde, you listen to some of the stuff, you know, Idiot Wind is a very long song. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, that's always killer for me. Now, anybody that, you know, a guy like Connor Roberts tried to continue that uh, with the Bright Eyes and, uh, you know, Neil Young. 
Neil Young, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Springsteen, they, they're all like Dylan-esque. I've yeah. always been into anybody that's Dylan-esque. I, I, I'll walk, oh, I'm going to listen to that. You know? but... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and for me, I think the thing was that I needed the time to gather a certain confidence that I could, that I could have, yeah, I guess my own voice. So that was at the end of, of me studying jazz guitar. And uh, so it was a couple of years where I mostly played jazz music and then kind of got back uh, to just where I, where I came from originally. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started trying out stuff. Then I, the first songs I wrote were actually in German just because it felt more natural for me yeah. to sing German. But then it didn't feel natural in terms of, it, did, it didn't sound like the music that I wanted to hear. Because you, you're a big fan of American music. Yeah, I was, and I was mostly... Not, not going to work with Americana. <laughs> yeah. Or rock and roll in, in itself, because, you know, they're, they're our, that's an American form. And totally. Like, like almost every band in the world that, you know, I've talked to bands in... in, in the Netherlands and in Finland and Russia and they all get drawn into English just because of the the rock. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's indie rock or alternative rock or blues rock, any kind of rock, you kinda have to do it in English just because. Not that I don't listen to other languages and rock. I love listening to Japanese rock bands because they kind of very they intrigue me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's so much that I have no idea about. So much stuff going on. Um, That's interesting that you get drawn into the American um, art form. Yeah, I, th- I mean, in Europe, you know, American music just has a very big influence on music here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then cool. when it comes, to... do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we might have our other influences might be waning in this age, but that music is still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the other thing is also songwriting. I think is just there's a very unique form of songwriting in the United States that you don't have anywhere else. At yeah, least, I've always been drawn know. to that myself. Is I, I think the the American format. Which I think has gotten a big hit in the last 10, 15 years because of other forms. I, I would say, like, the rock format has kind of fallen out of favor mm-hmm. with more of the hip hop and the rap mm-hmm. um, kind of taking the, 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 the top of the charts. Where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rock bands, my, I mean, I'm in my 50s, and we you know, look at the top 10 back in 1980 or 1990 or 1974. <laughs> yeah. You know, you would see different than what you see today. And and some mm-hmm. of that, the singer-songwriter has kind of fallen out of favor for more of the hip-hop provocateur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, you know, say we get these like uh, hip-hop groups. Not that I'm not into it, because rap is a cool American art form, and I'm an African-American myself. But mm-hmm. I'm kind of more drawn into more progressive art styles. Like Hendrix, you know, Stevie Wonder, Sun Ra. And I've always been dr- driven into things a little bit more... Uh, different style Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think yeah i think that's just you know that that just happens and then i don't know where where all this is going to be in 10 years so i think rock is coming back i've been talking in more and more rock bands i mean the last 10 bands i've talked to are in the alternative rock indie rock area 
Yeah, and I think also all those old rock bands, whenever they do one of their uh, tours, they still sell out stadiums. I mean, not right now, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Well, Guns <laughs> N' Roses was getting ready to play in Boston, and that got put down in Rage Against the Machine. Uh, is more of a, a a modern kind of punk band. Are they ba- are they back together? They, they again? reformed and they were going to play in Boston this summer, but that got canceled. They actually reformed, mm-hmm. and I was very. I've always had a punk aesthetic. I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I love bands like, uh, you know, like the Clash in the Sex Pistols, Who's to Do, Replacements. I, I kind of grew, you know, early REM. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always had this kind of. I love this Joy Division, um, the idea that kind of aesthetic. Where you, you know, even early U2 uh, was kind of punk. Um, and it just kind of opens up like the kind of pure rock um, that you can kind of be, like, you know, have that confessional writing like a Dylan. Mm-hmm. You can actually say something. And even yeah. if you're not the best musician, you can actually still have an impact. Um, and if your style can become something important, um, even if you're not a Jimmy Page, you're not a Hendrix, you know, you're not a Clapton, but you can still say something, you know, like the clash kind of point that out, they became great. Um, yeah. and, you know, so you, some people get intimidated when they become a musician. They're like, I had a bunch of guys I grew up with and if they couldn't, you know, play like Page or they couldn't play like Hendrix or they couldn't sing like Jim Morrison, they said, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. And, and they didn't realize you know, the you know, the punk idea like a Johnny Rotten, you know, Johnny Lydon. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have the best voice. You know, but then yeah, it no. shows that if you have the passion for your ideas, you can still get it across if you got the confidence to, to get your message across. Mm-hmm. So did you feel like intimidated when you first started that you wanted to match like the American music that you were impressed with, but you were you kinda intimidated by like, well, how am I gonna fit in this format? What am I gonna do? They kind of show a light on me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly know that feeling um, with all those people that I look up to. And for me, it just took a while to also accept that I have my own voice and I have to work with, with that and not try to be someone else. Mm-hmm. I, I think I never really tried to be someone else because I always kind of knew that there's no point. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you're but always going to lose that. It's better to find out what your capabilities are and know your limitations and maybe keep on pushing. You know. Yeah, and then the other thing, though, was that it is, for me, it was difficult because, as a matter of fact, I am not American. So, really, there's not really a point trying yeah, to be trying one. To be <laughs> so, and that was part of the reason I eventually also moved to the U.S. because I felt like there was no other way to be, to get it. Yeah, yeah, to be credible like it. in any yeah. way. I just, in, yeah. in, in order to be credible playing music and singing in English, I felt like, okay, I have to live there at least for a while. So well, you see yeah, that with the Stones, you know, the Stones went to Muscle Shoals, you know, mm-hmm. they came in they went to all these, they went to the same studios that, you know, all these soul singers were in. That Aretha Franklin went to. They went to all these, mm-hmm. you know, uh, places in like you know Muscle Shoals area, and even the Drive By Truckers. I guess their their father was like a recording engineer in a place where Aretha was and where Sam Cooke was, and and in in the Stones felt in order to get that American feel that you get on 
you know, sticky fingers that you get on XL on Main Street. They had to be in the South to do it. Mm-hmm. And they did. <laughs> I well, think with XL on Main Street, they were yeah, in France. Yeah, they got to pick it up because the actor, you got to go there. <laughs> yeah. It worked oh, yeah. with Graham Parsons. They picked it up too because he was this big, you know, aficionado of mixing rock, psychedelic rock with country, mm-hmm. which kind of created this kind of alternative kind of country rock. It comes from like Graham Parsons, what Keith Richards and those guys did on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which is cool. But where did you go in the U.S.? Did you go to New York or did you go yeah. down south? You went to New York? I, I, I went to New York. I went to uh, to school there, which was a way to get into the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and then... Um, yeah, I mean, I was there most of the time. I was in the U.S. for three years. Most of the time I was in New York. And I once, for uh, for the summer, I moved to Nashville for three months. Well, that, that's a good place to go. That, that gives, oh, yeah. you, gives you the country kind of, uh, your, your country, uh, you know, ID card. <laughs> yeah, it's all about songwriting. Oh, yeah. I've never, I've never experienced that, anything. That is like the total heart yeah. of, of a lot. Well, you know, either Nashville or going you know, into the into the deep south, like Muscle Shoals is another, or Louisiana. If you go to any of those places, you'll pick it up. Mm-hmm. You know? So how how did you set in with, like, the, the, the there's a lot of great studio musicians in Nashville. You know, there's all these studios all over the place and all these musicians working, like, 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 like New Orleans. So did you yeah. get to sit in, or you just were a fan? Did you get to, like, play with anybody? I didn't really play with anybody i i wrote i wrote with a couple of people and also i went there to work with a publishing company so i had an excuse to be oh, there and yeah. just to go all to do all these events so you're like a fan like sinking it in today all musicians are music fans like, yeah and also i think i wasn't really prepared for what was there i think i since I moved back to New York, I always wanted to go back to Nashville because with yeah. just this mindset of knowing <laughs> what's going on there. And I actually went for another week, mm-hmm. just I think one and a half years later, and I had such a good time just because I knew what was, you know, what it's like. Yeah, there's great, there's a great musicianship going on there. You know, I've talked to some bands that are not just country bands there. I mean, there's alternative bands. Yeah, all, all bands kinds, are, all kinds of bands. Band. Yeah, Jack White's there doing the blues and keeping yeah. the blues going with Third Man. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff going on. You know, and as and a blues guy, I'm home, yeah, the blues stuff there going on. I'm mm-hmm. heavy into blues, you know, lead belly type blues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like phenomenal. If you get there, you can just get a total education. Um, so that's cool. We got into your reference point. So your writing style would you say you're totally influenced by Americana or more like what type of American rock forms are you more influenced by? Would you say yeah, pretty much, uh, pretty much Americana. I think mm-hmm. um, I was always impressed by also with, um, with um, what Mark Knopfler did. And then what we talked about the, the whole thing of telling a story within yeah. the song. Yeah. Within just, yeah. I mean, you have to be very economic to tell a story yeah, Johnny don't Cash have that was like many. That too. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Cash was like, to me, country music really is like, you know, Wailing Jennings, Johnny Cash, guys mm-hmm. like that, Willie Nelson. You know, I'm kind of old school country. 
the kind of mm-hmm. outlaw country they get out of Johnny Cash, the man in black, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Folsom Prison. Yeah. That to me, you know, the train clacking, they basically had a rhythm section that sounded like a train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it was this, and there's always about the bad guy, which is kind of this anti-hero. You know, mm-hmm. the idea in country music is not about like romancing your girlfriend. It's like I'm a guy that's gonna go to jail. Yeah, and it's always yeah, and <laughs> I'm on down and out. There are laws after me. Like I'm the I'm you know I'm the man in black. I'm not I'm not the hero. <laughs> and I think even if it's not even if it's not a bad guy, it's about real people, and not everything is great. Yeah, it's not the perfect and, story. It's not yeah, and I, I was always drawn to that to just telling these stories about people that felt real and also had had their problems and trouble and whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's the great thing about you know classic American storytelling in music is it wasn't you know always like the happy song, um, mm-hmm. and not that you know you get in the Motown and it's still a lot of like pain people are talking about the pain in a relationship and how they can actually um, make it. So it's, you know, becomes celebratory, which is like an African-American technique is the fact that you can take pain and turn it into something pretty or beautiful, but mm-hmm. it maybe comes from that pain and then it gives you like legitimacy in what you're doing. And I think that's part, part of like the tradition that American music is, You know, African Americans have been involved in it from the beginning, multiple genres, and it was yeah. like the yeah, yeah. idea of being able to pull that pain and put it into art, which I think every singer songwriter does that. You know, yeah, is able to do that, and it's the level of the degree of honesty that you can get closer to the to the core is where people really kind of connect with with singer songwriters. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and so yeah, I'm, I mean. It also, I think, it, for me, it feels like it takes courage to go to these places within yourself. Because even if you're not telling your own story, you have to put something. Yeah, you got to have that yourself. empathy. Even if you don't have that, even if you don't have that kind of tangled up in blue mm-hmm. um, story that Dylan kind of talked about his own personal relationship. But he still kind of layered it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's about the whole album is about him breaking up with his wife, but you can't really pin that allegedly. Down. Yeah, like, <laughs> but, but you know, but, you know, according to Rolling Stone and Spin, but uh-huh. but but like you can't pin it down, but you can yeah. feel the pain because he creates all these like characters that are versions of himself or maybe other people they saw things in, but it, it all comes down to it, it's still that kind of pain of loss of losing somebody, losing your wife, losing your partner. And, and kind mm-hmm. of trying to move on and sometimes being very kind of vengeful idiot wind is a very vengeful song mm-hmm. entangled yeah. up in blue is a more remorseful song but you know idiot wind is more you know this person really messed up my life <laughs> yeah. and um, i'm gonna kind of like you know, you know really say something that's not so nice about him but it's it's all allegory and so you know it's i think that's the brilliance in that type of songwriting is like how close can you get to the truth can you create that vision you know springsteen's famous for creating these characters um as well and i think that's the the, the goal of the songwriter is to kind of make that connection with your with your um your audience that they can understand the story you're saying Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for me that that's always been the goal. I was always I'm just I was just trying to get to that point where I can create characters and hopefully uh, have them be believable in mm-hmm. 
some way. Oh yeah, so, yeah. I think the song Trigger. I was just listening to Trigger before the beginning. Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe you can talk talk about what what Trigger is 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 um is about. I can kind of I feel what I interpreted it to be about, but I always want to hear what the songwriter intended. Yeah, so yeah, I I kind of like to leave it open a little bit so you know it can be well maybe talk about what what how you came to you know come up with the idea of it mm-hmm. yeah, so the thing we, with that yeah. song is that it actually is one of my um attempts to creating a character so that person in the song is not me really mm-hmm. and it started it started out when i first started writing it it started out to be i, I think the character in the song started out much worse than than he well, probably he is and i remember i showed that to one of my mentors and he was reading the first draft of the lyric and he was like well you know the thing with this is if you were springsteen then you could sing this but if you put it out as just you people might just think that's you so yeah. i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't do it do it that way yeah so that was good advice and i just backed off a little bit (laughs) yeah and also i think now this person is probably angry so you know there's kind of this this yeah almost aggressive vibe to it a little bit but it's not it's not too explicit and i i don't want to you know yeah yeah we're kind of the idea trigger you know people will have these kind of hair triggers especially in america you don't know what's going to trigger somebody you know because they have a bad memory or it's like a post-traumatic stress and they, they get a flashback and you kind of push their buttons and then you gotta get into the consequences of that trigger um, yeah and so you can interpret it multiple ways you know how you see what triggers are how you interpret that but that's cool that you took that as as a as a topic, mm-hmm. which which is in America we've got a lot of social triggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you can see some of them going on right now. But um, uh, yeah, there's always been like all kinds of dichotomy in, in the American story. Well, yeah. just, you know, we have all these high ideals, like the city on the hill, but then we've got these kind of open wounds, and then we got all kinds of social issues, kind of our gun violence and you know other things going on. Um, that you know, as a songwriter, you can. There's a lot of material. There's a lot of stuff you can dive into. Um, yeah, you, there's a lot of stuff you you have as as uh, and then you have so many different art forms, you mm-hmm. know, to to pull from. Um, so that's that's really cool to get into. So that's your first um, 2020 release. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. And I've seen that you've got your other releases up here that I've been looking at. That you had like walk this road alone. Mm-hmm. You got Please Please Me, which was your Beatle cover, mm-hmm. and your masterpiece, uh, When You Wish You Couldn't Love, Love Making and the Making. So out of those songs, which song would you like, what, what song in your catalog is like your quintessential song that somebody's saying, what really represents your style right now? Out of all your songs in your catalog, which one would you say is the one that really, is the one that you would show somebody and say that that represents who I am as an artist? I think it would be between Walk This Road Alone and Masterpiece. Those are the two. Because Walk This Road Alone has this sonic vibe and it's also a character and ha- and also this whole 
longing uh, atmosphere of and uh yeah i, I just think with the imagery it's 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 this so that's what you're trying to convey you felt you conveyed that best in those songs the, the what songs the songs you just mentioned you felt you you conveyed that you, what you want people to see as your central like theme in your music you think yeah. those songs mm -hmm. are conveying that yeah best that's cool yeah i always tried that's a new question i started asking bands that you guys thought it's interesting because as a fan of <clears throat> uh, musicians yeah i bring up you know tangled up in blue mm -hmm. you know dylan's kind of premier song from the 70s mm -hmm. you can go into the 60s and you can find other ones but in, yeah. in the 70s that was kind of like whoa that's that's it mm -hmm. um you go back you know hey tambourine man or something like that more you know or, or you know times are changing you go back to early dylan but mm -hmm. like different periods of artists they have you know it's weird some artists they go through phases yeah you know and so in certain phases like one song is your that's your premier song in your in that phase that you're in right <clears throat> so do you feel as like an artist you why well, you probably don't know what phases you're going to go through but you do you have uh, like any an, anticipation that you would ever go from being americana to like prog rock to heavy metal <laughs> to punk would you go into or go into our berlin mode where you're gonna do like brian Eno, like industrial synthetic synth wave that you would want it you know because a lot of times rockers will suddenly go and do a synth record yeah i've I, I you thought that you would ever that. do that where you're gonna more stay in the you know, americana phase uh, I think I will probably try to find some way to combine it, but I'm definitely experimenting with, um, with. I, I think the songs are always going to be very important for this solo project of mine, and so I think I'm just going to try not to be in any way limited, and and be like, oh, I, but I need a fiddle here because I want to call it Americana or something. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm just, just going to try to go with the songs. You go, you go where, where you're going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you see that with Dylan, you know, he, he started as trying to be like a Woody Guthrie. Guthrie. Mm -hmm. He was going to be like the new folk hero. And then he met the band and suddenly went electric, you know, I'm blonde and blonde. And people are like, what's that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, and and then they really didn't like it. They booed him out. <laughs> they say he was. Yeah, I know. But 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 the whole thing is like you know you kind of go where the song takes you. Yes. Um, and so you see, like a Neil Young, he has like Harvest, with this very mm -hmm. Nashville sound, right? Yeah. Then, then he does something like um, Tonight's the Night with, with Crazy Horse, and that's kind of punk, and that's kind of mm -hmm. off key, and it's all really laid, leaving your soul bare. I mean, if you talk about leaving your soul bare, I think Neil Young is famous for his, like, uh, you know, Tonight's Tonight, Russ Never Sleeps, these really aggressive, powerful, rock, punkish pieces, but then he can do these beautiful kind of countryfied Nashville pieces, like, so he could go both ways. Yeah. Totally. He, had two, he had two bands. He, he'd have his his, his, his kind of Nashville studio musician level band, everything's got to be perfect. And then he has his like, uh, you know, uh, the, the whole, I think, Crazy Horses. It's, it's like a, it's a rock and roll punk band. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been kind of drawn to the fact that, that he would kind of, even on the same album, he'd have like the acoustic version and mm -hmm. then the rock version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think it doesn't contradict itself really. 
No, I, to me, it totally makes album. sense to have both. Yeah, it's cool to kind of be able to do that. And in the same album, he would do both styles. And I was like, uh-huh. well, that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Um, so it's cool to see that kind of movement. Because I'm an electronic musician, I, I'm deep into, like, you know, synthesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm deep into, like, analog synths specifically. Nice. Um, because I like the fact that analog synths give you, like, what, what acoustic instruments do. Mm-hmm. They give you like authentic feeling, excuse me. <clears throat> but um, I think like a lot of times in the in the modern world, people use so many plugins, they use so many soft synths, they kind of forgot that you know when the synthesizer was created by R. A. Moog and like mm-hmm. E. M. S. in London, they were about you know experimental musicians. They were trying to push the envelope, mm-hmm. and they weren't just you know ways to easily make your song they were trying to really push things <laughs> as far as possible uh-huh. um and so i, I kind of get disappointed when i see people using reusing beats and samples and not trying to actually push things like the way brian eno would push something or the way sun Ra would push something or the miles day or so you like even look at um you know like any of the great experimental musicians herbie hancock you know mm-hmm. it, so I think some of that has gotten lost in some of the musical stuff going on today. But I know in Germany, there's all this modular stuff going on. There's well, always, uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff been going on. But and I know hip hop's been kind of changing, and DJing has been changing things. So, what are your kind of ideas, like in terms of being a, a rock oriented musician in a world where everybody's using a DAW, people are using CDJs, you know, people are using plugins and not using real instruments. Um, what are your thoughts about that in terms of like how what the kind of form that you're in? Um, I'm I'm trying to be positive about it. And for example, when uh, because in New York I was living in Brooklyn, and there's a very vital scene of indie rock bands that I think are trying to push things. Um, also, a lot of them are going back to analog recording. And having mm-hmm. tape yeah, yeah. and stuff, so yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, but, that, yeah. but that's 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 almost too uh, normal right now. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, um, I think everybody wants to go that way because they want to go find old old gear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. They they want to find an old Mini Moog or a Prophet Five or find like an old EMS VS3 that Pink Floyd used on on you know on on the wall or mm-hmm. wish you were here. If people are kind of they're very nostalgic for those times. We yeah, actually went in the studio and you you cut up the tape and you splice the tape and you're on a full analog board. You're using like a Neve audio capabilities, and and I think that is this is this just a you know if you're an artist it's like a painter you know you want to have all the tools you want to have all the colors and all the different aspects that you you can take to your advantage. So that doesn't mean I wouldn't use a DAW, mm-hmm. but if I couldn't use an analog mixer and an analog recorder and i'm recording an analog instrument i kind of want to do it that way if i can (laughs) yeah well i mean the thing is i talked to people who still worked with tape and had to edit everything yeah and i'm i'm glad i don't have to go back to that (laughs) if i'm honest because i mean i mean the good thing is they always try to combine the two worlds and i think there's a lot of cool stuff happening there and yeah, in I think terms it's of... good to combine both. Both there's something to people being purists, but you know, taking things forward is always good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always smart to know a little bit about the tradition that you put yourself in. 
to me that's always been important to not just take stuff uh, without any consciousness about what what just the through line is from where it originally came from i don't know so this kind of goes into the workflow process question so when you do your recording do you go into a full studio and work with producers and recording engineers or do you do like a bedroom operation where you use a DAW or is it a combination of like using your DAW and going in the studio and bringing that result to the recording engineer and producer? Yeah. I mean, at this point, that's where I usually start. I mean, when I'm writing, especially for my solo stuff, I mostly do it acoustically. I just need my guitar and I I write stuff. (laughs) And then when I go to demo it to just to show it to, a band or something mm-hmm. yeah then i would probably just do it here at my place because also you know there, there aren't that many uh, studios left and then the ones that are left it's not that i can just afford oh, so do you going just record it with like your phone or your computer you don't use like a DAW to put it down no i i, I do use a DAW and, and microphones and stuff yeah mm-hmm. which DAW do you use are you either using like ableton or I'm, I'm logic i'm logic. a logic yeah. person mm-hmm. yep and so, yeah, I mean, that, that is the new equalizer uh, in terms of the, the industry. Almost every band I've interviewed since 2018, they use one of the DAWs uh, to initially put stuff down. Um, and then they bring it into recording mm-hmm. studios and have the engineers and producers, like, work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, um, in this world now, because of the lockdown, are you kind of not able to to keep on recording without going to a studio have you found ways to to take your dawn and you know be able to send it to somebody who still physically have to go to the studio no we uh i've i found ways i mean with this for example trigger that i just released luckily i had those recordings done before all this happened <laughs> um but I actually did some, I added some guitars afterwards that I just did here at my place. So you did the overdubs through Logic, mm-hmm. you just put mm-hmm. them in, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, luckily right now I've I've been able to work with, with colleagues and friends by sending stuff around. Or so here in Germany, you know, it's we're kind of going slowly back to I, I don't i don't think normal but things are opening up so yeah, I, yeah. I can at least Get travel to, to another city and then work with people there yeah mm-hmm. well that's cool are they, are they still limiting how many people can be in a space because i don't know i was talking to yeah. some guys in london and they had a band and they still couldn't practice because they could only be two people in, in a building they wouldn't let them be more than two so, so they I had think, like a four-member band and they couldn't practice because they wouldn't let them do it. I think you could practice now if you wanted to. Oh, well, you but, can. But all the yeah. concerts and events and stuff, is, they're, they're canceled. Yeah, these guys in London, they, two weeks ago, they still couldn't even practice. They mm-hmm. wouldn't say they, were, they wouldn't let them do it, but um, maybe that's opening up. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's interesting because one of the things I do as an electronic musician, I use like a lot of hardware recording mm-hmm. um, because I got analog instruments. And I kind of made a decision a long time ago. I didn't really like the DAWs, even though I'm an electronic musician. He's like tons of us use DAWs. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of into this old school, not exactly old school, but I use a lot of hardware recording uh, tools rather than DAWs. Mm-hmm. They kind of forced me to kind of do it the old school way. It creates a mm-hmm. different type of electronic music when you do that. It's more jazz, more I open. Bet, yeah. um, uh-huh. 
but but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm looking into getting you know some some DAW type equipment just to integrate with other artists. When I work with other artists, so many of them are using DAWs that I've got mm-hmm. to be able to send them the MIDI information, and you know they're looking for it that way. And I, you know, I send them the stems and stuff, so I can mm-hmm. do that. But it it would be easier if I had a grid to look at. And I'm typically I don't have the grid. I, I have mm-hmm. all the stems, but I don't have a physical grid to look at. Um, mm-hmm. So, because I'm doing it kind of old school on, on machines that don't have that wide open grid, but I can mm-hmm. still punch in and punch out in the, you know at certain areas of the song. But in order to work with other people, I got to compromise. <laughs> yeah, but, <I> mean. <laughs> but um, what's interesting is um, how are you playing? Um, you know, or, or are you doing like online? Um, like concerts or, or things on Instagram to push your music or you're waiting for the venues to open up? I did one thing, which was I was part of a, a day-long, you know, festival. Cool. In, <laughs> kind of festival, like one of those streaming festivals. You did like an acoustic, like unplugged? Yeah, just an acoustic set in just at my, my place. Um, and then with a with a friend of mine, I played guitar for for her project, and she, she did the same thing. I don't know; it's not really the same. Yeah, it's hard because you don't I get that feedback. Say, yeah, but I mean, the thing as a musician, yeah. I think a lot of musicians that you want that feedback from the crowd. Yeah, like if you play live, you kind of, you know, especially if you're a musician that likes to improvise or something. Like if you're like into a jam band type of band, right? If you're like the Almond Brothers, you can't really do that from home. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of feed off the crowd, and yeah. how they're going to do that solo, or they're going to go off and do it different, like the Grateful Dead. You wouldn't expect the Dead to do something, you know, no, like yeah. that. I mean, if you're a band like that, you're like a, a jazz outfit, like a Herbie Hancock. You kind of live off the vibes. You know, you go to New Orleans, you see all the blues guys. They feed off the crowd. And you in Tennessee, you know, I mean, it's like that—that's mm-hmm. the tradition in America. You kind of feed off the crowd, and you go off. And you, you come back and you, that's the whole point of music. So that kind of gets to me, like with a lot of bands, they're so locked in sometimes into their logic or their main stage, right? And they've got so many backing tracks. They're live, mm-hmm. they're kind of locked into their song as they recorded it. Um, if they mm-hmm. want to replicate it exactly, then they're kind of, they can solo, but they're kind of constrained. They're not like what a band used to be able to do and just go out where they practice it and they, they don't have the computers running. They don't have the sequencers running. So when you play live, do you use a lot of backing tracks or do you kind of just play it the no. way you, you want to play it? No, 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 no backing tracks at all. <laughs> no, no, did I get so choice you did that? You don't, you, or do you ever see yourself doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm just generally opposed to it. It just never really made sense for us. Yeah. And we do have those sections with, with my band where you can open it up um, and, you know, play another, I don't yeah, know, play another yeah. turnaround and stuff. So, yeah. It, so you rather actually and, just have a, a full band and play it and rehearse it and then maybe kind of go off if you get the vibes from the crowd? Yeah. Yeah, if I can, if I can do that, that's my favorite situation for playing live. Well, I've seen that some bands I've talked to is like they, as you get bigger and you get into the kind of machine, like they, uh-huh. if you're with these big labels, you're bigger acts. They kind of get forced into having to do that um, to be able to replicate their single. 
um, and then the management and the, and the record companies and the promoters kind of make them, you know, become like like a Las Vegas act again. They end up doing it like the same like every night, um, which is kind of mind. Oh yeah, and I guess kind of mind lights. And yeah, everything. I think it's kind of well. You say you're stuck with the light show. You're stuck with the so you're stuck on kind of a you kind of got to do it. But you can, you know, you still, if you've, if you've got lights and pyrotechnics going on and you're a bigger band, I mean, you look at the Guns N' Roses, they didn't exactly have to stay on it, you know. You definitely, mm -hmm. but they don't have to stay on it. You know, you can deviate a little bit, you know. You can kind of go off. You've got guys running it and they can change it. But, but you know, sometimes smaller bands get, get I've been getting into, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of bands that kind of feel like they've gotten locked into, like, their, their song. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think there there's ways you can work around that. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think there's cool opportunities. Yeah, with, yeah, you kind of got to make sure you don't that. get, like, to be a, a slave to your own song. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, the, the good thing is, that, yeah, I think the way just where, where I come from musically, I, well, I mean, I hope I will, but I think I will always make that the priority to really play with the people. Mm -hmm because that's just the fun part of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I just want to play to a track, because, you know, then that's, that's I can just play it through my phone. Yeah, know. yeah, that's the problem I have sometimes with electronic, being an electronic musician, uh, sometimes I go to a club and you have all these DJs and electronic musicians who are just running, you know, CDJs or running Akai, you know, NPCs, and they kind of get stuck in the, you know, the crowd, it's bad, especially with the dance crowds, you know, Uh, that aren't into like advanced electronic music they don't want to hear something like experimental they don't want to mm -hmm. hear like a guy with a modular synth is going crazy right which you know if they're going there yeah, to that's, dance that's i guess makes sense. Or, you know so but then sometimes what happens is that the promoters in some of these clubs they kind of expect everybody to be like the djs and, yeah and then uh -huh. it's like well if you got a real band they're not going to play like a guy on a CDJ, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like what, what's been going on in, in some places. Um, we've been getting kind of this kind of thing where promoters want to run 15 bands in one night. And mm -hmm. then they're all kind of locked into doing very short sets. And then people can't elaborate, mm -hmm. you know, they're like you're 20 minutes, you're done. You can't, you're out and you've got to be concise. And so that kind of takes the fun out of it. If you're in that kind of mm -hmm. kind of thing, compared to like you know, even even if you do a festival show, you're kind of locked into a schedule. But you got at least you have you're more wide open at a festival. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like to me, it's like I just hope that 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 after this whole thing with Corona, people are able to come out and play their heart, you know, play what they feel and like say things, you know, that they want to say and not kind of be stuck into this kind of corporate attitude sometimes on music which I think kind of kills it. Um, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it always has existed and always has, yeah, has done that. I don't yeah, know. So, so one of the things I was always asked about is like collaboration. You mentioned briefly that you were working with somebody. So have you collaborated with people within your genre or other genres uh, working on other projects like to do features mm -hmm. um, with other musicians or have them feature with you? Have you thought about doing stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm open to all kinds of collaboration because I'm also working as a writer for all kinds of projects, uh, really all kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
so I get to write with different. So your people. main gig, you as a writer, you do a lot of work where you cross collaborate. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things. And then I have my stuff, and I'm also some of the songs I co-wrote with people in the U.S. That was another thing that was helpful to me to yeah. just get to write with other people, to American music, to stuff to write with American writers and musicians, and um, yeah. And then I actually have another project going on right now here in Germany, which is more of a rock band i don't know if you would say punk rock band but it's more it's alternative also, maybe more alternative alternative and also humorous i guess so more like like well is it going toward like a grunge kind of nirvana pearl jam or pure like punk like a clash or sex pistol no i think it's it's a little more like modern, more than modern. That. oh so more like industrial mm -hmm. metal well not that not that uh heavy. Yeah, heavy yeah it's just it's i think it's just it's just somewhere, somewhere in between and, uh, but, yeah it's just like rock but, music. More, more rock. <laughs> but also it's also uh, part of it is that we're creating content that's just i you know i hope it's funny to us it's a oh, lot so of fun more to humor create. based kind of punk yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, maybe like a green day when they used to do more humor like dookie they would maybe yeah maybe yeah. something like that and and it's just it's just been a lot of fun it's with two very good friends of mine and we actually had this band when we were i guess 16 years old oh, and okay so it's one of your kind of garage band kind of coming, coming up yeah age yeah and, and we and we yeah, do some kind of happy fun fun short punky songs yeah that's that's mm -hmm. cool that's always been the part cool thing about that kind of punk aesthetic it kind of opens up to either like Ramones, you know, they're kind of famous for doing all these mm -hmm. like kind of silly songs, you know, the, the short yeah. little two minute song, one minute song, you know, yeah. but that, that's always cool because you can just have fun with your bandmates to doing something. It's like, not, you're not trying to make a big statement, like in a pop, you know, a singer songwriter, you're not doing a Dylan mm -hmm. S statement. You're trying to do it. Like, why well, would I just want no, to No, out, this is know. very different. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's interesting. So, so as a musician, I always ask this question: What are your opinions of the streaming services versus being like on labels? Like back in the day when I was first starting out, like uh, you know, unless you could get on a small label, you couldn't even get your stuff out at all. You know, you had you had to get on right. like SST or you got to get on IRS. You had to get on the small American indie radio and get on college radio and get played that way in order to get out there. And now the new college radio is, you know, Spotify, Tidal, you know, SoundCloud, YouTube. Mm -hmm. So as a musician, the one drag on that is like on old days, you could get A&R support. You get record label, pick you up. They pay for your tour. They give you an advance. You'd have some money to get out there. Now a lot of stuff is like self-funded and, you know, don't make a lot of money from your streaming. So what do you mm -hmm. think are like the pros and cons of that? of the way things are now for musicians. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you said the basic points. I think um, on one hand, a lot of people are able to put out their music that wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Um, but then, unfortunately, I do see a lot of musicians that don't make money anymore and they used to make money oh yeah even the big ones don't make the money so, but, but then, 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, I because everyone is always um, talking bad about Spotify and streaming services in general. And so I, I can see that if you just look at the money you get for streaming, I can see that you that you that you're angry. But then I always think that people never talk about the labels. And I'm kind of angry at the labels because I feel like somehow all these streaming services they got those deals yeah, put no that they can get yeah, away yeah. with. Well, the labels. Yeah, make I mean, sure they put out the deal. Taylor Swift gets the lion's share of the money coming out of Spotify, not to put her down, but she's the mega. The mega artists get the lion's share of the streaming income, and they work. They yeah, and and I think that's not that's not very different from back in the day. No, too. yeah, any big. I mean, Led Zeppelin's going to make more money than the Ramones, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and even that's what happened, you know. And I think what what the thing is, mainstream artists always made the lion's share, but then other artists on the labels, I guess, made enough to not really. Well, I think what happened is ask like, questions. Yeah, well, I think what happens is like if you were a small band, right? You got many. You, they gave you a van, right? And they gave you a recording engineer. Yeah. And they gave you some roadies, and you all had to get in the van. And maybe they gave you a budget for the gas or whatever, and to go there. Right, so you had enough to just to get be out content yeah. and don't yeah, ask questions. But then out, I think they always screw people over. <laughs> yeah, but I think they probably never pay, uh, paid them fairly, the smaller bands. So now you have just so many smaller bands that are somewhere on the spectrum through streaming services. So you know they're not able to pay all of them enough so now it comes to light that i think those deals probably were always yeah, like, you know, <laughs> a little flaw up on youtube or soundcloud or tiktok then suddenly your mm -hmm. label will get you the tour bus and get yeah that, that's the thing you have to put in all the work get overseas and play the shows you know i mean it's kind of like today an artist like myself is like i found a way to get into spotify and do this podcast Right. So this mm -hmm. is this is another source of income for me. I do like influence marketing. I do mm -hmm. I do like uh, uh, what you call uh, music licensing uh, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so because I'm an electronic musician, I can do apps. Right. I can do little short snippets on my synthesizer and then sell it for a TV ad or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can make more money doing that than as the ghost. But I still right. you know run my ghost project. And, you know, from time to time I do okay, but I actually make more money from the other things involved in my music that keeps yeah. me going. And then I get to play because I like to play. Um, and so you just kind of live with that. I mean, I just got a booking agent. Like I said, I'm going to get to travel once this thing opens up. But, um, yeah, it's just, it takes a while to get where you want to get. And you kind of got to be satisfied at a certain level in your career. There's like, hey, maybe I'm never going to make above this X amount. But I got to be happy mm -hmm. with what I'm doing because I have control over my art. You know, I, I don't have to have somebody tell me what, what to do. I think that's one of the best things I think is being an indie artist now. Is like, yeah, you could compromise and try to make a hit and have some producer totally rework everything you do to make it a hit. Or you could. But I think if you go, you know, if that's the approach, then you're not going to make it because there's someone out there who really wants to make a hit and that's yeah, yeah. 
really their passion. So if you just try to do it to pay the bills, I it's probably not going to work. I don't know. Yeah, I think you got to do it because you love it. I think most of the musicians I talk to, they do it because they love it. They fall into things because they keep on putting the passion into it, and then they get an audience, and they get opportunities, and they do stuff, and they they, they you know they kind of hang out there until they you know because they they love what they're doing, and, and they. If they mm-hmm. if it gets traction, it gets traction. If they get a certain level, they get some level. They kind of, you know, live with it. Never stop pushing, but you still mm-hmm. are out there. You're doing doing your work, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, as an artist, all artists, and that kind of starving artist mentality. <laughs> you know, you you do do it because you're like that's what you are. You're an artist. It's like a painter trying to sell a painting, and then you might not, you might sell one <laughs> painting every five years. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that's that's the nature of the, of the of the business but i think it does give a lot of people the ability to you know get on to a podcast or get out there outside of their market and now suddenly you, you're in germany and you got people listening to you in canada you know you got people mm-hmm. listening yeah. to you in japan you know you can get it. Mm-hmm. and that's where the opportunity is because then you can find ways to reach those audiences and engage them i think that's what the whole um social movement of of social media is really good for that yeah it can be yeah but i think that's the thing you just have to try to see it as a chance for something and then also be skeptical (laughs) and careful i think oh yeah Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to pull your money And trying to get you to say, well, I can get you a million listens, like really from some kind of Russian bot. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so you kind of got to be smart. It's like, how is it that all my listens are coming from Ukraine? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that's not real. <laughs> but um, um, yeah. that's, uh, you know, you don't want to fall down that rabbit hole. But um, um, yeah, it's just, you got to be careful because there's always people out there trying to take advantage of artists. Um, Yes. So, uh, you you're working on that project with your 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 old bandmates. Are you working on this single? Is this part of a bigger project? Yeah. So I have um, two more recordings that are basically done. There and uh, masterpiece and trigger and the two new ones are gonna be the Made in America Volume Two EP. Okay, so you put out EP, and that's gonna come out this year. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's all stuff that I still worked on while I was in the U.S. And then I am, which is part of the whole Corona situation, because there are no gigs really at the moment. So I was able to work on new music, which was a nice side effect. Yeah. So, so you've been you just have to look into recording. Yeah, it. so the whole corona thing is I've been doubling down with a lot, you know, a lot of artists I've been working with actually started doing a lot of collaboration and um you know focusing on a lot of material when I actually wanted to go out and play. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, well mm-hmm. all the time I was gonna do that. Now I can actually, you know, work on some stuff I was not gonna work on. And um yeah, I think it's been I've talked to a lot of bands that have been doing that and they've been able to double down and maybe release an album before they thought they were going to do it or, or work mm-hmm. on uh, a collaboration that they didn't think they had time for and now they did. Um, so that's, I think that's people have been able to take this time as creatives and, and use it to their advantage in some ways. Um, but it's great to have you on the show. We're going to push this out to all cool. of our streaming services. We're on 11 podcast platforms, including Spotify, which is our um, home you know, uh, Anchor is actually part of Spotify. 
but, but um, uh-huh. okay. we're gonna be on Apple, we're gonna be on Radio Public, Google Play, all in uh, on the Spotify version. It is free to listen to. You don't have to have a subscription to listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. And so we'll give you the link to the major ones, um, like Apple, cool. and awesome. Anchor, and um, Spotify, and it will go out within an hour. And uh, yeah, we're gonna push it on our social media. We actually are able to link it on our Instagram to a, to a nice. highlight. They'll go right to the Spotify version of the podcast. We're oh, that's push cool. That one out because <laughs> that's our. That's why we they, they they want us to push that one, but <laughs> um, but that that's going to get pushed there, and you can you know share it on your story if you want to and stuff like that once they put it up. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're glad to have you on the show. Next time, if you ever have um, another project you want to talk about, give us a give us a ring and. Uh, we can get you on. We've had people on the show multiple times over the last couple of years. So we appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Good talking to you. Have a good, good. What was it? Daylight there or nighttime? No, actually it's midnight. Midnight, It's like six o'clock here. So, well, okay. So either keep on working or or rest up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Same. Thank you.